Good morning. It, it, it kills me to uh, stop your conversations here this morning because I love seeing the body connect like that. Um, before I get started, though, I'd like, would you please join me in praying here for this morning? Father God, Lord, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you that uh, made it through here the first service, and Lord, here we are at uh, hour two. Uh, Lord, offer all the preparation that happened, uh, Lord, as worship to you, Lord, now as we are, are studying and as we're speaking, Lord, I pray that you would take the things that I have to say that are of value, Lord, help the folks here hear them and to take those in. Lord, if there's stuff I'm saying that uh, they shouldn't be hearing, Lord, pray that they'd forget that. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would use um, your word here this morning to encourage us and to grow us into being the church you have for us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Good morning. I'm really glad to hear. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad to be here. My name is Jeremy, and I am always excited to be up here. It doesn't happen very often. One time this summer, I got a chance to be up here and share, and a few weeks ago, my wife and, and family and I were all up here. If this happens to be your very first time here at North Hills, you won't know of any of that, so welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, this is the second week of Northwest's Northwest Hills Go Focus Sundays. And by Go, what we're talking about is global outreach. You know, and I hope you are as excited as I am to, to be able to learn a little bit about and to be able to be involved in how God is using this church to reach out to the whole world. Uh, these messages that we speak uh, are put online, which is really fabulous. I've been overseas and listened to Pastor Josh and folks, and it's very encouraging to, to listen up and hear what's happening at home. But uh, as many missionaries who stand up here, there's, we're not really welcome where we work. And so we're not able to share as much details as we would otherwise love to share about what our ministry is because there's folks who don't want us doing what we do. And uh, so for, for our own safety and also for the safety of our teams, there's some details we won't share. However, you have a great opportunity today because out in the lobby after the services, there's these booths. And what those booths are is there's a person, an advocate for each missionary in this church that'll be there. And they're, the advocate's job is to be able to communicate to the church where their missionary is, what they're doing, how you can pray for them, how you can get connected with one of them. One of the advocates did something very clever, uh, which was they put together a card that then you can go sign and write a note of encouragement to them, and they'll get sent off. So it's a neat way for you to connect with the missionaries from this church. I would encourage you, as you're heading out, to be sure to stop by some of the booths. Uh, my wife and I will be out there, too. The nice thing about talking to someone face-to-face is we can tell you details that we can't say up here. And so I encourage you, take, take a few moments, uh, go talk to some folks. I'm not sure how many more times I'm going to be able to get away with this. But I'd like to begin with a little caveat. I am not a professional preacher. I am a professional engineer. Okay, so be easy on me. Okay. I want to tell you a little bit about myself and my family. Uh, about two and a half years ago, uh, this church sent us out. We went down to South America, and there is people living out in the jungle in South America that have not had a chance to hear about Jesus. In fact, in many of those locations, there isn't a believer yet that speaks that language. And so we're there. We're not out in the jungle, though. We, I'm, like I say, I'm an engineer, so I actually am a, a support missionary. And what we do is these teams of uh, national people from the church that go out, um, they're living in really remote areas, uh, areas where I get to help them set up solar panel systems so they have electricity for their running their laptops. I get to set up water purification systems. 
I get to do architecture and engineering work in terms of uh, buildings, both on a small scale for what they're going to put out, out there and also on a large scale for um, some training centers that we have in the countryside. So I get involved in some engineering. I also am kind of an IT guy, so I help with computer stuff. You know, they, get, they click the wrong link in their email, and they have malware, and I help them take it off. And I also try to help them not click the email in advance by doing some training. Uh, so I've actually taught courses in Spanish in the training center to help being, bring people up to speed on what it's like, uh, the tools that they can use to do ministry more effectively out there. So that's what I do. Um, why am I here? I'm here because uh, you may have noticed that gas prices have gone down from last year. Uh, it was a bit, it's, I realize they've started to come up a little bit, but the reason they went down is that globally the price of oil got cut in about half, which is really great for us here. Uh, not so great for the people in the country where I'm from, or where I'm working. And the reason why is that about 95% of their foreign income comes from oil. And they import about 60% of the food and goods they consume. So a quick little bit of math, and you'll realize that there's going to be shortages. The problem for this country is that there already was shortages because of how poorly they manage their economy. They, their goal as a country for their economy style, they'd like to be like Cuba. That's a problem. <laughs> don't, don't try to do that. Uh, there's some notes in there for some other folks too. But uh, So you, you try to be like Cuba, and then you lose all your money, and they have, they have a problem. And the problem is just beginning to start. We actually left not because of what was happening, but because of what is going to happen um, there's, a, there's a pipeline. When you, when, you, when you sell a good, you get the money, you take the money, you do the import. There's a time lag between when, when prices drop and when you actually feel the pinch in your pocketbook. And so in the next coming months, you'll see in the news more and more news uh, as this country continues to fall apart. And so in conversations uh, with God via prayer, conversations with our leadership, uh, we decided, mm, family, three lung kids, maybe we should take a little break. And so we did, about four weeks ago, we moved back here to the U.S. I apologize, I probably have some mannerisms and funky things because of, I'm, I'm a little bit of a foreigner, so my brain is still readjusting being back here in the U.S. Um, and then a week ago, uh, our country and their countries liked uh, yelling at each other, and the recent pronouncement is basically the, the kind of visa that we had um, got unilaterally canceled for all American citizens. So had we still been there a week ago, we would have been back now anyways, um, and so God's timing is good. Um, so what we're doing now. So as a lot of you folks who work for HP, you hear about where, where HP stuff, they're doing stuff in Singapore, iron there all over the world. The nice thing about engineering is you can do it anywhere. Uh, I have some, some really nifty tools called the Internet. You can remote desktop onto people's computer. Uh, I have a, a voice over IP line with a local number down there so they can pick up the phone and call me and answer questions. And so I continue to do a lot of what I used to do, which is help uh, and one big blessing being gone actually is, is there are some really large projects, um, projects that I really didn't get to on a daily basis because there's a lot of little stuff too. You know, when a missionary shows at my door, I didn't send them away saying, hey, I have a big project I'm working on. I helped them with whatever their needs were. And so by being gone, I'm actually able to take one step back and start working on some bigger projects uh, for their training center and for our main headquarters, engineering-wise. Uh, and by, I, th- I think by being back, I actually will get some of these projects done in a more timely manner that might end up being a bigger, long-term, more strategic benefit to the local church there. And so we're able to be back even though we, we feel weird. I mean, we're still adjusting. And, like, 
God, what do you have in store for us? We don't know exactly, but we see how God is using all things for good in this way. So what's next for us? We don't really know. I have enough, I have enough backlog of work from when I left that it lasts me six months to a year. Um, it depends on if we're able to get a visa to go back. If we don't, who knows? But we're at a spot in our life that doesn't always happen. That we, we don't know what the future holds. We know that God has it in his control, and we're okay with that. I've not always been able to say that in my life, but I can say that we are okay not knowing what we're doing, and I would be encouraged that that actually is possible. Okay, we've been asked a few times over the course of the last two and a half years, uh, what would possibly motivate you to sell almost everything you own, to trust God enough to go ask people to join with you and pay your salary, to take a huge cut in salary, to travel and live in dangerous places in the world, and to do so with little kids. Uh, I think sometimes people are really asking, did you lose your mind a few years ago? And there was another missionary uh, in time past that was asked similar questions, and uh, we were very moved by how God used that to shape our thinking. Uh, And I'm cheating a little bit because this missionary is the Apostle Paul. So from 2 Corinthians... We're going to read here. He writes, If we are out of our mind, as some would say, it is for God. And if we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that, all, that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, they should live for he who died for them and was raised again. We are convinced. We're compelled. You see, we have a dangerous condition. Some of you guys have it too. And I've, I've seen warning signs in others. You see, this, this condition, my, my wife and I, we call it being captivated by his grace. Having experienced the overwhelming love and grace of God, we are moved to respond and really, the only response that makes sense, that's applicable, is one of complete surrender. Here I am, Lord. It's not to say we have it all figured out, by no means, uh, but rather, God is actively at work in our lives, and we are actively at work in his kingdom. There's some things that heighten the risks associated with this condition. And there's three of them that I'd like to talk about just briefly here this morning. The first one is spiritual maturity. The second one is resources. We talk about in churches, the time, talent, and treasures. Um, And the last one is understanding and awareness of the world. And so starting talking about spiritual maturity, I'm actually not going to go deep into spiritual maturity. I hope you're trying to grow in your walk with Christ, that you're trying to be matured and grow. Uh, So we're not going to talk about that. Number two, resources. And I could talk a long time about resources, but I boiled it down here. Quite frankly, most of us live like kings and queens in this world. You don't feel like royalty. I understand that. I don't feel like royalty. I, I, I'm, I'm in that group. Um, but we live under a world system that says more, more, more. Buy better, grander. That's what the world system is telling us. And it's hard to see it. It's really hard to see it unless you've traveled, unless your eyes have been opened. If you're a numbers person, this might be just barely start to open up a little bit. Um, you know, we, we talk about the 1% here in the United States, and you know, quite a bit of news and media about that kind of group. 
know what the global 1% is? How much, this is how much you have to earn to be in the top 1% fiscally in the whole world. Your entire household earns $34,000 a year. I suspect, not certain, but I suspect that most of the adult families in this church are in that 1%. We have tons of resources. Immense resources is almost beyond imagine. We have resources of time, too. And talents, I mean, university-educated people, we have immense talents. Uh, I mentioned time. When we moved back into this country, it took us about a week and a half, praise God, to get a house, get moved into a house, get a car, get utilities in our name, like, we were essentially set up and living normal in a week and a half. And we, we offer a lot of praise to God for that. But at the same time, the United States, we are efficient. We can run this country. You, they, the systems operate. I know you guys feel frustrated sometimes with how slow government works here. You have no idea how good you have it. <laughs> I mean, I, I go to the bank. You know, our address changed. You know, we've, we haven't been in the bank in two years. And, you know, we have various pin numbers, you know, debit cards that need to be redone, ordered, whatever. You know, I sit down, and, you know, someone tends to me very quickly, and they take down information, and, like, in 10 minutes, maybe max, everything is done. Whereas, in, Ven- in where I'm from, <laughs> mm, I did it the last time without saying a single time, so you have to use the first service recording. The, uh, you know, you get to the bank, and it's a two-hour line just to talk to a teller. And then you, you get there, and it's like, oh, you don't happen to have form XYZ. And so then you go do it again. And that is just everyday ex- experience with everything. We, have, we are so blessed um, in this country. Okay, the last one I really want to talk about, though, is knowledge and understanding. This is the, the things that we need to know that affect uh, how, we, how, we, how we live in this world and really have a huge effect on um, how we engage it. The first one is our purpose. What are we here doing? Just a few verses after what we just read there in 2 Corinthians, Paul goes on to say that our job, we are ambassadors for Christ. So I don't know if you know that or not. That is actually your job. You, you are an ambassador for Christ. Um, so that, that's our purpose. That's what we're here doing. Okay. Along with that, what, what is it that we're doing as ambassadors? Well, faith is important. We are saved by faith. I hope, hope most of you all know that. Uh, faith comes from hearing. That's the source and in Romans 10, there's a big, long passage that talks about how, how faith comes in people's lives, since faith comes by hearing. And it goes on to explain how the people who are, they have to hear because there's a preacher, you know, a preacher has to be sent. So there's, there's a passage of how the church works to go out and to communicate the, the message so that people can hear, so they can believe, so they can have faith. So that's, that's, the, that's the mechanics of how the church operates, is people hear and they believe. The last bit of information, which this is the part that I think sometimes we miss, is that not everyone has heard. And I believe, I understand this modern day and age, you might have a hard time believing that. You know, we have the internet, you, people can hear all kinds of different things. I bet there's people here in Corvallis that have not heard the gospel explained to them clearly. However, I'm not even really talking about that. I'm actually talking about something a little bit bigger talking about people who haven't had a chance to hear it all. And rather than to try to explain all this, I, I took some videos from some of the world's leading mission agencies and cut them all and spliced them together in this little mini uh, segment to try to explain what it is to be an unreached person. So let's roll this film, clip here.
we're not talking about people who are lost and don't know the Lord. We're talking about people who are lost and don't know the Lord and there's nobody who speaks their language that can tell them. There is no church that exists. There is no, uh, not a large enough group of people within that people group, uh, within that tribe or nation to, to reach themselves. That's an unreached people group. Here at the Aaron Shrine, as I ask people, why are you here? They've all said they're asking for help. Remote locations can be very difficult places to live. I mean, you're talking complete isolation. Aircraft plays a huge role in how we can get the right people to the right place at the right time. It's about sustaining them and also providing them with the tools they need to, to effectively work there. To take supplies up to them. Would then mobilize missionaries. So unreached people are concentrated in difficult locations. You know, it could be out in remote jungles. It can be in countries that are oppressive. Uh, it can be up in high mountains. And there's a stretch of the world that reaches from the heart of Africa out to the islands off of Southeast Asia that's called the 1040 window. And that is where the vast majority of these unreached peoples who have no way of hearing live. And there's other pockets. We, you know, we actually worked down South America where there's an area where there's folks out in the jungle, so it's not in the 1040 window, but still folks who have not heard. So, you know, when you work in these locations, it's a very different world compared to the world you live in right here. And so I wanted to show a little clip here of what it's like, what it's like to be a missionary in one of these remote areas and what, what your daily life looks like as you're ministering. So we're going to roll the second little clip here too. When we first move into the tribe, of course, you're trying to establish relationships with the people, and uh, it's a very different culture, very different way of life, and so how do you do that? And I think, it, for me, it just worked trying to learn what they were doing, and, and you were getting language in the process of that. Going, trekking through the mud and the muck and the jungle to get out to scrape sago with the ladies, and eating grub worms with them, um, sticky sago paste and pig meat, and just being able to help the ladies do different things, carry firewood or whatever, hopefully that was beginning to show them my care for them and my desire to, to be their friend and be a help to them. Uh, no matter you know the days when it was hard and you thought, what am I doing here? Uh, you just kept remembering that he's worthy of their glory, and so how could it not be worth it? Worthy of their glory. And this is, that is an example of the kind of person that we end up supporting where we're at out there. Worthy of their glory. Almost immediately after I found out that I'd get another opportunity to be up here speaking, I started praying, started thinking about what is it 
that we're going to talk about, what, what I'd like to share from. And the Lord just kept leading me back to this passage in Isaiah 6. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, please pull it out and turn there to, uh, in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. Uh, it's actually in- included in my notes here this morning if you don't happen to have a Bible with you. You have a big blessing. Most of the unreached people groups that we work with, that we're actually working to give them the New Testament. A lot of them, though, don't get an Old Testament. There's only, I only know of, of one language group in the areas, that's like less than 10%, that actually started work on an Old Testament. And so we are very, very blessed. Give thanks to God today that you have a translation of the Old Testament and New Testament, the whole Bible, multiple languages, or excuse me, multiple translations, lots of books, lots of resources, study guides, devotionals, curriculum, like we are very blessed. Okay, Isaiah 6. <clears throat> In the year King Uzziah died. King who? Uh, don't, don't worry, I actually have a, a Bible degree, and I still had to look the guy up. Uh, in a nutshell, a good king. He's a, he's a good king. In a time of lots of bad kings. Uh, so he kind of stood out a little bit. Uh, he became king at age 16. So all you folks who are here, just remind your parents everyone saw you could be a king. Uh, I'm sure it's going to come back to me when my kids get older. Uh, he, he developed great military and economic strength in Israel. That made him very popular. We always like it when our governments create strength then that we get to enjoy. However, he had a problem. And his problem is that he grew proud. I think that's also another problem that we have sometimes. And that, proud, that pride led to a downfall. And he had many mighty men. He had lots of people that were telling him some good advice, like, don't do this. Seriously, don't do that. You really don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Did I mention you don't want to do that? Do you think he'd listen to the good advice? No. So he, he went to the temple. He had, a, he had an offering he wanted to make in an area that he was not allowed to be in, in a way that he was not prescribed, the way that God was not good with. And he did it anyways. And then he got leprosy, and then he died. So that's kind of what happens. Okay, Isaiah continues. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So even though King Uzziah is off the throne, God is not. This this is an amazing experience, this passage that's happening to Isaiah. Jesus actually even mentions this exact experience in John 12, 41. You should look it up sometime. Uh, You know, why do kings have long robes? Why do they have the whole train? What is that all about? In that time period, in Isaiah's contemporaries, a king would have long robes, would have the whole train going on as a symbol of authority, a symbol of majestiness. Again, I think I just made that word up. The, and basically what it means is, I'm important. I'm so important that I don't really have to move from this position. You're all going to serve. It's kind of why I think brides have this, the long dress, is that it's the same symbolism. Basically, this, I'm not moving. This is really important. This is my day being served. Continuing into verse 2. Above him stood the seraphim. Sarah what? Seraphim? Uh, you know, you know seraphim, right? Uh, from the Hebrew word serap, which means bur- to burn. So these are more little burning ones. Uh, they're described in other places in the scriptures too, uh, most notably in Revelation 4.8, uh, where John describes them as a living creature. And what do they do? They, they stand in the presence of God and serve continually. So then we'll keep going here. Each had six wings. 
pretty far out there. I'm not, not sure I'm seeing that. The, the two, and with two, they covered their face. Uh, little, this is a little note for you when you arrive into heaven. Long-term exposure to the glory of God is hard, apparently hard on the eyes. So sunglasses, whatever you need to do, uh, when you're, that's, again, when you get to heaven, keep that. Remember, heaven's a long time. You need those eyes. Uh, Isaiah continues, and with two feet, or two wings, he also covered their feet, and with two he flew. I don't really know what the significance of that is, um, or at least my confidence level on what that means is pretty low, so we're going to keep moving on by. You can ask Rich another time. Uh, and the two seraphim, they called one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know that worshiping God is important. The seraphim are there worshiping continually, praising him for his holiness. While Isaiah is there, they also talk about his glory filling the earth. And I want you to take this, this thought and tuck it away in your mind for a moment. How is it that the earth is filled with people glorifying God? How does that happen? Verse 4. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of he who called, and the house was filled with smoke. The thresholds were like the, the doorposts, you know, that you'd walk in the door. This, this experience that Isaiah has of God and his glory is intense. Uh, Isaiah didn't go very far into the throne room. Like he's basically in the door because he, he's describing the doorpost shaking. He, with this mic, I might be able to show, shake the uh, doorpost here on the, you know, ask the ushers uh, if I started speaking really loudly, but you know, this is two-by-four construction. I think God's throne room, I'm thinking more precious gems or metal or something more eternally heavy-duty. And so when, when God speaks, he's speaking with the power of an earthquake. And again, I apologize, I'm an engineer, a little engineering interlude in here. We engineer types uh, are expecting a big earthquake around here. Yes, have, you, have you heard of this thing, the, the Cascadia earthquake? You know, we got a little plate here moving about 40 millimeters a year, and that's building up lots and lots of pressure, and it's going to be a big one. The geologists tell us it happens about every 300 years. Uh, it last occurred January 26, 1700. So we're kind of due. Uh, and it's going to be big. You know, the thought is probably about 9.0, which is the same thing that just happened across over there in Japan right before we left. Earthquakes are powerful. You know, that quake is estimated to be about 480 megatons, which would be the same as 480 million tons of TNT. It's a big one. If you converted that to electrical power, uh, a 60-watt light bulb, which, again, takes a lot more power than all the little LED bulbs you guys are using these days, but an old-style light bulb, you would run it for about a billion years. Uh, it's about the same amount of power it takes to run L.A. for a, a year. So we're talking mega power. So all that to say, pack an emergency earthquake kit in your house, please. Um, more importantly, though, listen to what God has to say. It's also very important. And powerful. Verse 5. And Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost. More literally, he says, I am undone. Unlike the king, Isaiah knows and believes what God told Moses back in Exodus 33 that you cannot see my face and live. Isaiah continues. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord, 
seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah knows why this is a problem. He has a sin problem. He's in a nation of people who have a sin problem. There's a reason the seraphim are there continually saying, holy, 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 our God is an absolute goodness and purity, and there's no, there's no mixing that. You know? And so when, as we, as people who are not perfect, not holy, arrive, there's, there's a sin problem. There's a, something that needs to be dealt with for that relationship to occur. Verse 6. One of the seraphim flew to Isaiah, having in his hand a burning coal that had been taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. That word atone, it's not a word we use often uh, in English, but what it means is it's a covering over. And all through the Old Testament, there's a ton of examples of how sin is atoned for. They, the, Israel, the Jews celebrate a day of atonement. And there's this beautiful picture that I read to my kids often in their children's Bibles of the first Passover. And there's a sacrifice made, and they put the blood on the doorposts. And then that night, the angel came, and those houses were passed over. There was a covering over of the people because of that sacrifice. And so that is how... What atonement is, it's a covering over of sin. There is actually only one time in all of history when sin was paid for. Okay? Uh, that's when Jesus was on the cross and died. One perfect sacrifice. The book of Hebrews explains that all those rituals and sacrifices and all the whole Old Testament were just a sign pointing to the cross, pointing to what Jesus was going to do. And in this day and age, we actually we have the, it's the same experience. We It's not something happening now. We point back to what happened on the cross. And so there's only one one time when sin was paid for. Um, So whether it was Adam, whether it was Abraham, or any one of us, we have have the same question before us. Uh, Are we going to believe God at his promise? And if we do believe, then our sins are forgiven. Christ's blood covers our sins, and we're given Christ's righteousness. God's promise is simple. you know, it's in verses that our children memorize. Um, you know, first, we have to understand that we've sinned. We need to be like Isaiah. We need to know that there is something between us and God. Once we understand that, then we can ask God for forgiveness. And Jesus makes an offer, or God makes an offer through Jesus, that whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. That's the promise. Do you, will, you, will you believe in him? And so that promise is that if we believe in him, our sins are forgiven, and we start a relationship with God. If you have questions about this subject, or if this is like something you haven't heard before, on the little flyer that's in your bulletin there, on the back, there's my email address, my phone number. You can text me. I'd love to talk to you. Verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Okay, church. We've been restored into a relationship with God. There's a reason we didn't just instantly teleport up into heaven. And we, just, we talked about it a minute ago that we're ambassadors. We have something to do while we're here. God asks each of us to serve. And I can't say, come, stand up here and say, hey, you grew, this group needs to do this. No, I, mean, I can't tell anyone what they should be doing. Instead, you have to walk with God. You need to be in a relationship with him and listen for what he has for you. Now, I've spoken to a lot of missionaries. I've spoken to a lot of servants, pastors, people in ministry, and no one...
I feel like I'm back in Venice. Or... <laughs> okay, yeah, that's. Uh, I did really good first hour. I really was quite good. The uh, none of them had an experience that was quite like Isaiah, where they entered into the presence of God like this. Uh, their experience was quite a bit different. Uh, instead, you know, they, they didn't. They also didn't get an audible call like, "Hey, hey, go to Macedonia." They didn't hear. This, I, correct me if I'm wrong. This is weird here, isn't it? <laughs> I, <laughs> see, my engineering brain's like, what's going on here? What do you... Okay. Uh, no call. Instead, just like Isaiah, they were pursued, uh, they were motivated to pursue serving God out of a thankful heart. You can see here how, how Isaiah responds. Hey, we still got slides back here. That's good. Here I am. Send me. Okay? So when God calls, Isaiah's response was, hey, 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 pick me. Choose right here. When God stirs in your heart, is that your response? Right here. Pick me. Choose me. I'd like to, I'd like to serve here. So and think about that. What, what is your response? I'd like to show you a film. which We'll see if happens here. Um, to show you a, a, a picture of what can happen when a family chooses to say, here I am, send me. ago when my mother and my father began an unforgettable journey. I was just seven months old when they moved deep into the jungles of Papua. We made our home among a small tribal group known as the Sawi. My dad learned the language. My mom treated the sick, all with the purpose of telling them about Jesus. 
It's been almost 25 years now since I've been there. Uh, I don't know how much things have changed. It's possible that a lot of the people that I know are no longer alive. But uh, I think some of my friends will still be there and it's going to be an amazing reunion with them. Joining my two brothers, Shannon and Paul. My dad just turned 77 and this is his first time back in many, many years. So for our family, for my brothers and my dad and I, this is the trip of a lifetime. around here. My dad made this bridge that I'm standing on more than 40 years ago, probably 45 years ago. And my world just revolved around this area, just swimming in this river. His name is Moses. And he was just saying that he used to really enjoy jumping off the tree here with me into the river. He said when my parents came years ago that they were still living in darkness. God's word has been planted here. The gospel has been received. The place is full of peace. It's a safe place to live. We're very blessed. I want to give thanks to God because the gospel came here. And I want you to know that when you leave on the airplane tomorrow, that we're going to stay faithful to the gospel as long as we live. It's everything to us. Goodbye and God bless you, he says. <laughs> the younger generation is really thriving. There are lots of challenges, but they're, they're aggressive. They're, um, they're taking places of leadership. I'm impressed with the desire to progress, the desire to make an impact. I'm encouraged that these tribes that used to be mortal enemies are so close to each other now. They, they see themselves almost as one. The old tribal barriers and divisions that I sensed and knew as a child have long since broken down and they really feel themselves as being one people. Part of that is because they, they share a sense of significance and identity by virtue of their story that has been told.
Our trip to Kamor and the reunion with the Sawi reminded me what an incredible privilege it is to join God in his journey to the nations. And it makes me wonder how many more people around the world are still waiting to experience what the Sawi have experienced. Two thousand. Two thousand. That's the answer to this question. That's how many people groups remain in areas, in remote areas, where no one has started working at all. This morning, I want to leave you with a challenge, and it's twofold. Uh, the first half is figure out what God is asking from you. Again, I can't stand up here and tell you anyone what what God has for you. You have to you have to figure that out. But I earnest, I believe that if you go to God and you pray. And you ask earnestly, God, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? That he will make it clear to you. There's some possibilities. There's that person that you know that you should invite over and form a kingdom relationship with. Uh, maybe you wake up early. Go find a place of ministry. You know, children's ministry here. There's a lot of options. Lots of places to get involved. Support the sending out of missionaries. And I, I don't mention that as, you know, as an ask for funds. We are very, very thankful for an amazing group of people from this church that support us, and we, we lack nothing that we need. Uh, but there are others that do. There's other important things in the kingdom that need your support, things like the local church. It is very encouraging to your missionaries around the world to be able to hear about how healthy the church is and how finances are going well, everything's smooth. That's encouraging. Uh, there's a pe- group of people here at North of Sills called the Go Team. These folks are kind of the frontline connection for the missionaries that are being sent out from here. When times are hard, they're the folks we call and help us work through things. When times are going good, they're the ones that get here and pray and encourage and plan about how, as a church, we can work together as a body to make a bigger impact over the whole world. And finally, I have kind of a hard one here. Some people have to go. You know, a lot of people can serve from here and do good things. But every single field, every mission field on the whole planet is praying for more laborers. We need more people. Will you consider going? Okay, so that was number one. Figure out what God has for you to do. Number two, do it. I tell my kids every once in a while, do it with a happy heart. Uh, I stand here as a reminder to you. It is possible to say, here I am, send me. Sacrifice might be involved. Some uncomfortableness might be involved. But really, when it all comes down to it, there's only one response to God that makes sense. Here I am, send me. One final note to all you families, all you professionals, all you OSU students out there, uh, it is possible to leave the comfortable and to go out and reach the unreached. Uh, some of you can do it from here, but some must go. If you want to find out some more about what it would look like to use wherever, whatever gifting and abilities and talents you have, whether you're an engineer, doctor, teacher, 
or someone who is a student or, you know, hey, I'm out of high school, I need to figure out something to do. There are great ways you can be involved all around the world, and I'd love to chat with you about it. My email address, my phone number, you can text me. It's in the, the, the flyer. Uh, you can come. We'll be out in the lobby afterwards. Come talk to us. We'd love to help you get engaged with this world. Join me now as I pray uh, for this church and for this world. Father God, Lord, you are at work in this world. Lord, we see it. Uh, we uh, can see what Isaiah, how he responded to your glory, to your presence, and he responded in an attitude of wanting to serve. And Lord, I pray that we would have the same heart, or that we would see what you've done in this world, uh, what you've done in this church, what you've done in our lives, and we respond out of thankfulness and to a heart of service. And Lord, whether that keeps us here, Lord, we, we all come from different places with different skills, different finances, different everything. Everyone serves differently, Lord. But Lord, I pray that the people of this church, their hearts would be on fire for you, Lord, that we would be committed and that we would stand up and say, yes, Lord, here I am, whatever it is. I pray that uh, you would encourage us to do it. I pray that you would take all those offerings, all the, the worship of people lived out here, and you'd take it to the world, Lord, you take it to people who haven't heard Lord, folks who haven't had a chance to hear, Lord, that they would be able to understand, they, Lord, that they would hear, and that from that hearing would come belief. Lord, thank you for providing everything we need in great abundance. Lord, thank you for this church. Lord, thank you for the scriptures. Lord, we love you, and we praise in your son's name. Amen.